I got a question for you. It might be short, your answer. It might be long. I'm not really sure yet. What do you know? Some of you went, oh man, I'm in trouble. All right. Here's my hope. Here's my hope. Is that at least all of us in here know a few things this morning. And my real hope is that all of you guys and gals in black and red have learned a few things over the last few years. Not just at school, but at home and in life and even at church. You see, because it's what we do with what we know that actually makes the difference in our own lives and in the world around us. And this doesn't just go for those that are about to graduate high school, but for everybody. Because really, if we want to impact the world and we want to make a difference for eternity and we want to be the people that God created us to be, we ought to be in this process of lifelong learning, growing, maturing. In the book of Mark, chapter 11, Jesus met a group of people that knew a lot. In fact, if you ask them the question, what do you know? They probably could write you books or give you discourses on how much knowledge they had obtained. But what's interesting is what they did, or rather what they didn't do, with what they knew to be real and true. Mark chapter 11, verse 27, is where I'll start reading to you this morning. And we'll go through the end of the chapter, verse 33. This group of people will be introduced to our chief priests and scribes and elders of the Jewish people. Verse 27 says, They came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. That's Jesus. And they began saying to him, By what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do these things? You just got to kind of understand what's going on here. Jesus and his disciples are the they in verse 27. They came to the city of Jerusalem. This city was the focal point of the Jewish people. It was their political and religious capital. It was the place that they looked to to set the course for their nation. And Jesus knew that as well. And so when he came to Jerusalem and he taught the religious leaders, or he performed miraculous acts, or he did crazy things like cleansing the temple from people who were selling sacrifices instead of helping people offer them to God. Jesus knew he was having a major impact, not just on the people there at that time, but on his entire people group, on that entire nation, because what happened in Jerusalem didn't stay in Jerusalem. It spread to the far corners of Judea. And there was a group of people that really had grown to dislike Jesus. In fact, this group of people disliked each other many times. Pharisees, Sadducees, priests, scribes, Levites, they all kind of had their little ways of viewing the world. Their ways of benefiting themselves, their own group of people. But when it came to Jesus, they saw that Jesus was altogether different from anyone that they had met before. He taught with authority that no one else had. He could perform miracles that no one else in history had ever been able to work, including raising dead people to life. 
But Jesus did something earlier in Mark chapter 11 that didn't just cause these religious leaders to scratch their heads and wonder at Jesus' power. It caused them to shake their heads no. Like who is Jesus that he thinks he can do this? You see, because here's what happened earlier in, in Mark chapter 11 when Jesus came to cleanse the temple in Jerusalem. The temple was the place where the Jewish people offered animal sacrifices to God. Yet it had also become a place of business where folks could make money selling sacrifices at higher prices than they were actually worth. Exacting money from people's pockets who had genuinely come to worship God. And Jesus got fed up and tired with this old system. He didn't like that people were being swindled while they were coming to worship. He didn't like that God's house of prayer had been turned into a den of thieves and robbers. And so I thought about doing this this morning and then I decided against it. Jesus came into the temple and picked up the tables. Yeah, you, you, yeah. I thought about throwing the pulpit over for dramatic effect. Didn't think that would go well. So Jesus picked up the table and chunked it in the floor. Money spills everywhere. Pigeons start flying out of their cages. Goats and sheep are kind of squirming around on the ground. And everybody stops, and that hustling, bustling temple became very quiet. And Jesus starts telling these people, what are you doing? What, what do you think this is? This is my father's house, and you're desecrating it. And the scribes and the chief priests and the elders are very concerned at this point. Because Jesus has just effectively stopped everything that they've been doing. I mean, not just the money-changing endeavors and not just the overselling of sacrifices. But he stopped the sacrifices from being offered on the altar. All of a sudden, everybody that's out in the courtyard getting ready to throw more animals up on the altar looks around and goes, where's everybody coming to bring their offerings to the Lord? And then they see this guy standing in a tunic having torn up the place where they're selling these sacrifices, wondering, who is this and who does he think he is? They were a little upset with Jesus. More upset than you would have been if I had turned the pulpit over here in the sanctuary this morning. And so Jesus knew their question and knew the motivation, the reasoning behind their question. Their question was, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you the, the authority to actually do this? To come in here and to stop the sacrificial system of offering offerings to God. Jesus, being smart and knowing a few things himself, replied this way in verse 29. Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question. And you answer me. And then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Here's Jesus' question. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? Answer me. Who is this John? The Gospels identify him as John the Baptist. He was a prophet. He was baptizing people in the Jordan River or in bath pools, wherever he could find enough water to take people into the water, lower them under the water, and bring them back up. He was baptizing people as a symbol of their repentance from sin and turning towards God. 
And before John the Baptist came on the scene, the Jews had some hand-washing rituals and some cleansing ceremonies, but they didn't by and large practice this baptism, this taking somebody and lowering them to the water and bringing them back up. But John came on the scene without having an accredited degree, without being recognized by the local religious authorities, and he just came baptizing people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And here's the thing about John the Baptist. Everybody knew who he was. They recognized his authority as a prophet. Herod, the kind of the puppet ruler at the time and in that place, had gotten so fed up with John the Baptist that he actually had him beheaded. But everybody still knew who John the Baptist was, even though he'd been dead for a little while. They remembered him preaching. They remembered his acts of baptism, and especially the religious leaders. Because they came out to investigate John the Baptist one day and he said, look, I'm just doing what God sent me to do. I'm just the voice of a prophet crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the Christ. He even tells them, I'm not a prophet, I'm just doing what God wants me to do. But one day in particular, another man came to John to be baptized and his name was Jesus. And Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan River, not to repent of his sins and to turn back towards God, but to really receive the anointing of the Holy Spirit, to be commissioned as the Christ, the Messiah that God had sent to save the world. And there at Jesus' baptism by John the Baptist in the Jordan River, you remember the story in the beginning of the book of Mark, the heavens were split apart. And the Spirit of God descended upon Jesus, kind of like a dove would descend down from the sky. And a voice came out of heaven that said, This is my beloved Son, in Him I am well pleased. And so now these religious leaders are in quite a bit of a predicament. Because if, if they answer Jesus' question one way, Jesus wins. And if they answer Jesus' question another way, Jesus still wins. And so they start talking about this amongst each other. Verse 31. They began reasoning among themselves saying, If we say John's baptism was from heaven, he will say, Then why did you not believe him? Because here's the deal. Everybody knew that John the Baptist had some spiritual weight to throw around. In fact, he challenged the Pharisees themselves, called them broods of vipers. They had tongues forked like serpents that said they loved God, but at the same time lived a life opposite of that. But then they thought in verse 32, but shall we say from men? If we say John the Baptist's baptism was from men, we're afraid of the people. Because everyone considered John to have been a real prophet. So as they're debating... How they're going to answer Jesus' question, they come up with what they believe to be the perfect solution. You know what? Let's not play Jesus' game, they thought. Because if we say that John's baptism was from heaven, then John baptized Jesus, so we kind of got to believe Jesus too. We don't want to go that route. But if we say John's baptism was from men, then everybody's going to hate us and nobody's going to listen to us anymore when we try to talk because everybody knows John was sent by God to declare truth. 
So they come up with the golden ticket, verse 33. Answering Jesus, here is their answer. We do not know. And Jesus said to them, nor will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Jesus said, well, it's okay. You guys don't want to play my game. I don't have to play yours. But really it wasn't so much that they didn't want to play the game. It was that they lost. You see, even this answer was not very good. Just stop and think about it for a moment. If you are a religious leader, a religious expert, what should you know? Religion. In all things religious, right? I mean, you ought to be able to tell whether John the Baptist was a genuine prophet sent from God or whether he's just a man who's a charismatic leader but really doesn't have much content or substance to what he's talking about. And what are these religious leaders, these chief priests, these scribes, these elders, what do they say? Hmm. You ever been sitting in class before? And, uh, and man, you, your teacher calls on you. And she says, hey, what, what do you think about that? And you shrug your shoulders and go, hmm. You ever been there before when, you, when you're going through math class and it's time to write the, write the solution on the board and they call you to come up there with a the dry erase marker and you pick it up and you pull the top off of it and you go, oh. This is what, this is what the religious leaders are doing at this point. They look like absolute fools. And then Jesus goes on to to make things even worse for them. Well, look, if, if you guys don't have an answer to that question, I'm not really sure that you're the ones I have to answer to in the first place. I don't have to tell you by what authority I do these things. You should know. I have authority from heaven. And everybody knew it when Jesus didn't even respond that way. Everybody knew that Jesus had authority from heaven. They just didn't want to admit it. You see, the problem for these religious leaders was not that they didn't know the answer. It was that they didn't know what to do with the answer. They knew a lot of stuff, but they didn't know what to do with it. It was strange. Their field of expertise had now been shrunken down to one simple fact. Were they going to submit to Jesus' authority, the one who actually did come from God, to teach them the truth, to save them from their sins, to direct them in righteousness, or were they not? They were face to face with truth incarnate, and they didn't like it. They didn't like him. And so they simply tried to avoid it, but they couldn't escape. He was still there. He was still teaching. He was still preaching. He was still proclaiming. He was still working. It's kind of a sad place for these folks to be in life. There's a few interesting things that occur these days and in these times in Christian circles and churches and in Christian life. Few of it goes like this, so graduates, I'll talk to you about this one for a minute, then I'll pick on your parents so it gets better. Between the, the ages of about 18 to 25, 
there's a lot of young people that after they graduate high school, they just kind of leave. Leave the church. Some of them turn their back on the faith. Some of them just don't care about God anymore. They live their own life. They figure out what they want to do, be their own kind of people. And it's kind of sad. Because a lot of these students haven't just been students in their local schools, but they've been students in their churches. They've learned God's word. They've heard Bible stories. They've known that Jesus came to die for their sins and rise again. They've even followed him in baptism. Some of them were leaders in their youth group. But yet when it comes to life, instead of submitting to Jesus' authority, they choose to do their own thing and go their own way. Now before we blame this generation coming up here, because you guys got some good brains in your head, you know that? It's pretty smart. I mean, Graham's like toting around 50 pounds of medals on his neck. So, there's another issue that's taking place. And researchers have just begun to discover this one in the past few years. What happens a lot of times when children leave the home is not just that children kind of fall out of church, but it's that parents do as well. Did you know that? I, I hate to do this. But it's okay. It's mom and dad. They'll forgive me. Maybe. Um, my parents, for a while, didn't really have a church home. After my brother and I graduated high school, they went here and there, but they still have yet to really get back involved and plugged in and invested in a local body of believers who's dedicated to carrying out the mission of Christ. It's almost like you get in your, your head this idea that, well, if, if we can just teach our kids some good things at church, then man, once they are out of the house, then we can go and do whatever we want to do. We go to the lake on the weekends. We can retire and buy an RV and drive through all the 50 states until we realize how much gas money we're spending and we don't have enough for retirement, so we've got to come back home. That's usually when they come back to church, by the way. I'm just kidding. But I mean, this is reality. A very honest and sobering reality is that we have grown adults who know the answers, but they're not living in light of the truth. It's kind of strange. And so here's, here's just some thoughts I want to leave you with. Three ways to kind of combat these problems. Because like the Pharisees, the, the chief priest describes the elders, I think that you guys know the answers. I think you know the answers. His name is Jesus. And parents and grandparents, adults who are out there, I, I think you know the answers too. You know who Jesus is. It's a question of what are you going to do with that knowledge? So here's, here's what uh, some of these same researchers at, at Lifeway have noticed with uh, students who have graduated high school and then been faithful to still be living on mission for the kingdom. Still been faithful to follow Jesus. And here's something else that they've noticed even when it, when it comes to adults. With adults staying faithful in the church and adults staying faithful to follow the Lord Jesus that they claim to love and serve. The, the first is this. 
weekly, weekly, some type of small group, Sunday school, or community Bible study. A group of faith-based people with which they can share life. Pray for each other. Talk about things. It might sound kind of simple, but I really think it's a big deal, don't you? I mean, because who you are and what you become and what you believe and how you act and behave and the way you even think is largely determined by the people around you. The people in your circle, the people in your sphere of influence. And whether they're smarter than you or dumber than you or whatever the case may be, the people that you're around shape and form you to some large degree. It's important to be in part, to be involved in a group of believing Christians who want to share the faith, who want to follow Jesus faithfully. Because if you're not around those people, chances are you're not going to follow Jesus faithfully. You're going to do whatever your friends are doing. So there's going to be temptations. Parties, career, money, extra work. Don't fail to be involved and invested in a small group of Christian friends who love you and care about you. People that you can love and care about too. It goes for all of you on the front row. And that goes for all of you in the back pews too. If you think that when you come to church on Sunday morning for an hour and sing some songs and listen to the pastor preach, and that's all there is to the Christian life, man, you've missed it. Jesus doesn't want you to be a Christian for an hour on Sunday mornings. He wants you to be a Christian every single minute and moment of your life and live out the truth. So find a group of people. Maybe it's a Sunday school class here at church. For some of you, maybe when you go off to college at Arkansas State or Arkansas Tech or BRTC, it's going to be getting involved in a small group Bible study of some kind on campus or a campus ministries group. Here's the really neat thing for all of you. We did this. Actually, Coy did this, so you can blame it on him if you don't like it. We have some really neat people called campus ministers spread throughout all the college campuses in the state. And those folks are going to have your phone numbers. So when you get weird calls from this guy talking to you about following Jesus, we gave it to him. Because we want you to follow Jesus. That's why we did it. Get involved with those people. Find folks who love you and keep you going in the faith. And the second thing is this. Find a church where you worship every week. Look, I love to see all of you here this morning. Did you know that? I really do. You might not love to see me at this point, but I love to see you. I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad we got to sing together and worship together. I'm glad that we get to read God's word and study it together. But you've got to find a place to go, not just today, but every Sunday. A place where you can go and you can worship God and give him the honor and the glory that is due his name. Because reality is this. No matter where you are in life, whether you're graduating high school and the whole world is in front of you, you've got a career path set out, you're going to make a bunch of money, you're going to get a bunch of fame, notoriety, you're going to do what you want to do and you're going to enjoy it. Or whether you're older in life and you're to the point where you've done everything for the most part that you wanted to do, but there's still a few little extra things that you want to do. Don't let God and church and following Jesus fall by the wayside. 
find a church home, a place where you come every Sunday morning, or if it's one of those weird churches that worship on Saturday nights, find a church home and worship with them every week. It's not that you're going to go to hell if you don't do that. It's just that you're not going to grow in your faith if you don't. Find a church home. That's the second thing that they found. If you'll find a group of believers, small groups you can share life with and, and spur each other on to follow Jesus, and if you'll be involved and committed to worshiping the Lord at a church worship service, at your church home every week, it'll help. And here's the third thing. I think this might be the most important of all. You've got to spend time daily in God's Word. Daily in God's Word. You've got to want to hear from Him. You've got to let Him speak to your heart. Because when you read this Bible, God will point out sin that you need to confess. And He'll give you wisdom for the decision that you need to make. And he'll help steer your life back on course and set you on the purpose for which he's created you, which is to be his follower and to make other followers around you. Every, uh, every Monday, I go over to our church's preschool building on 2nd Street, just behind us back there. If you've never, never looked at it, it might be fun to drive past. And, uh, and when I go to the preschool on Monday afternoons, I don't spend a whole lot of time there. Because they're preschoolers and it's just crazy. They're loud. But when I go, I, I sing some songs. So we, we sing things like Father Abraham and Deep and Wide and Jesus Loves Me and just good stuff. We do Peace Like a River. It's kind of fun too. And then we read some Bible stories. So I usually pick up a children's Bible story book. And uh, I'll usually find the, the one that is, likes to roam around the playground like crazy. You know, and won't ever listen to me. And I'll tell him if he'll sit down and sing, then I'll let him hold the Bible while I read the story to him. It works wonderfully. And so when we come to the point where we read these stories, we, we sit down and we talk about the four friends lowering down the paralytic through the roof so that Jesus can heal him and forgive his sins. And we talk about Daniel having faith and praying and then being thrown into the lion's den and God sparing his life. And the king realizing that Daniel's God is the one true God. Wonderful Bible stories. Good stuff. Read about David picking up a five stones, putting one in a sling and chunking it at the giant Goliath's head who tried to defy the Lord. And as we read those Bible stories, what I'm hoping takes place is that seeds of truth are planted in the soil of hearts. And that those seeds begin to mature and produce a little plant and that that plant continues to grow and to flourish throughout life and as that plant grows it bears fruit for eternity it makes a difference in their own lives and in the lives of the people around them whether you're a student graduating high school or an adult every single one of us need to spend time with God and his word every day because that's where we come face to face with the truth. And that's when we submit ourselves to the authority that Jesus has over our lives anyways, if he's Lord. So a couple of weeks ago, I was going, I picked up the guitar out of my office. And I was going to walk over to the preschool through the church building. And I'd left my, my Bible story book in my office. And I didn't want to walk back to the office 
because sometimes I'm lazy and that was a long walk. So I picked up this Bible off the counter in the, uh, the, the kitchen there where the preschool area is. And so I picked it up, read through the Bible story. I'm going back to set it on the counter. And uh, when I go back to set it on the counter, I dropped it on the floor. And it was open to the little front, very front page here. I thought it was pretty cool. You, you might not can read it from where you are. I, I think he's, he's probably learned, learned how to read this a little bit more. So it was, uh, it was given to the, the church preschool group so that they could, they could use it. At the top it says, to Jackson Forrester. Given by First Baptist Preschool, May the 18th, 2006. And the Hiroko Humble Group, group of ladies, missions minded. I couldn't help but think, as I looked at that, Jackson's just one of all of you guys represented down here, isn't he? But man, look, you, you got the answer already. His name's Jesus. Don't forget about him. Long to spend time with him and his word every day. Adults, the same truths that you've instilled in your children and grandchildren, those are the same truths, not just that they need, but that you need. You guys could have said amen to that one too. We need the Lord, and we need to know who He is and what He says and what He wants. Spend time with His Word. Spend time with Him in His Word every day. Be faithful to follow Jesus. So when I ask you this question, what do you know? I don't want to hear all of these nice and fancy accolades and titles that you guys have gotten because you've gotten a lot. You deserve them. You've learned a lot. You've worked hard. What I want to know is this. Do you know Jesus? And are you willing to live your life for him? Adults, what I want to know is this. Not how great your child or your grandchild is doing. I want to know, do you know Jesus? Are you living your life for him? What do you know? What do you know? May we all know Jesus. Amen. Father God, we thank you so much for loving us, for sending your son Jesus into this world to challenge our thought patterns, to transform our hearts, to shape our lives. God, I pray that each and every one of us here this morning would choose to be faithful to you, that we find a group of believers with which we can connect encourage and challenge each other to follow you. God, I pray that each person in this room this morning, whether they're a member of First Baptist here in Walnut Ridge or a member of a church somewhere else, or maybe don't even have a church home yet, Lord, I pray that each and every week they be faithful to be a part of a family of believers who lifts up your name in praise and who submits themselves to you, to your will as they worship you. God, I pray that each and every day we would pick up a copy of your word that you are so gracious to leave with us so that we can know who you are and how you want us to live. And may we walk in the light of your truth 
each and every day. God, I pray for each one of these graduates on the front row that they'd know Jesus and that they'd know that they know Jesus and that they'd know what to do with Jesus. And it's not to leave him to the side. It's not to ignore him. It's not to forget about him. It's to remember him. It's to include him in every detail and facet of their lives. It's for him to really be their life. God, would you be with us now as we respond to you? And so here's your invitation this morning, church, and for those here. I'm going to ask our graduates, if they would, just to stand up. And as this song of invitation is played, I'm going to ask you, maybe you're a parent of one of these here, or a grandparent, or an aunt, or an uncle. Maybe you're just an old Sunday school teacher. Maybe you're just a church member. Maybe you're a friend. I want you to come by during this song of invitation. Maybe it's one or two or three of these folks. I just want you to come up to them. And I want you to pray for them. That they'll be faithful to follow Jesus all their lives. If God's speaking to your heart in some other way, I'd be happy to talk with you. I'm standing right down here in the front. As God calls you this morning, would you come?